Section 1 of Four Science Fiction Novellas This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Lake Placid, Florida. Four Science Fiction Novellas by Harold Vinson. The Copper-Clad World, Chapter 1 Into the Unknown Adrift in space. Blaine Carson worked frantically at the controls, his jaw set in grim lines and his eyes narrowed to anxious slits as he peered into the diamond-studded ebon of the heavens. A million miles astern he knew the red disk of the planet Mars was receding rapidly into the blackness, and the RX-8 was streaking into the outer void at a terrific pace, out of control. Something had warned him when they left Earth. The Martian cargo of K-Metal was of enormous value and a direct invitation to piracy. Of course, there was the attempt at secrecy, and the shippers had sent along those guards. His engineer, Tom Farley, was thoroughly reliable, too. But this failure of the control rocket tubes, missing their destination as a result, there was something queer about it. Tommy, he called into the mic, find anything yet? Well, something... The audiophone drawled after a moment. I'm coming up. What is it, Tom? he asked, when the engineer's round face appeared at the head of the engine room companionway. Farley dropped his voice, and his customary smile was gone. I found the stern rocket tube ignition jammed, so it's firing continuously, he said. And the others are all dead. Won't fire at all. That's why she doesn't swing to the controls. Can't you fix it? "'Lord, man, we're headed out into the belt of planetoids. "'We'll be wrecked. "'Nothing I can do, Blaine, without shutting down the atomic engines. "'Then we'd freeze to death and run out of oxygen. "'These ships ought to have a spare engine "'just to take care of the heating and air conditioning. "'I always said so. "'What happened to the ignition system?' "'Tom Farley looked over his shoulder apprehensively. "'Dirty work, Blaine,' he whispered. "'I'm sure of it.' Tool marks on the breech of the stern tube, and there's one of those guards I don't like the looks of. Nonsense. The K-Metal people know their men. They picked these three especially for the job. Who else could do it? There's only the five of us on board. There might be something in what Tommy said at that. A thing like this couldn't just happen by itself. And come to think of it, one of those guards was a queer-looking bird dwarfed and hunchbacked, sort of, and with long dangling arms. It would be better to investigate. Get him up here, Tommy, Blaine said. The RX-8 drove on and on through the uncharted wastes outside the orbit of Mars. None of the spaceships of the inner planets ever ventured out this far, and Blaine knew there was grave danger of colliding with some of the small bodies with which the zone was infested. If one of those guards was the traitor, he was risking his own neck as well as theirs. Two of them entered the control room with Tom Farley, big husky fellows of stolid countenance and armed with regulation flame-ray pistols and gas grenades. "'Where's the other, the dwarf?' Blaine asked, his suspicions mounting immediately. "'In his bunk,' Tom replied with a meaning look. "'He said he'd be up in a few minutes.' The pilot commander addressed the guards. "'Fellows,' he said, "'I suppose you know we're in a serious fix. 
the ship is out of control and we've missed mars where your metal was to be delivered we're speeding out into the unknown out past the limits of space travel toward the orbits of jupiter saturn uranus god knows where and my engineer thinks that one of your number has tampered with the machinery know anything about it blaine eyed them keenly one of the guards mahoney flushed hotly no sir he snapped at least kelly and meself had nothing to do with it but we've been a suspicion in that little antazo ever since we came out it's a peculiar way he has about him the devil you think he an incisive voice from the doorway interrupted never mind what he thinks carson i'll do the thinking from now on at one man they turned to face the speaker it was the guard antazo and he was clothed from neck to ankles in a garment of bright metallic stuff that shimmered with shifting colors like those of a soap bubble a mask of similar stuff covered his face and in each hand there was a weapon resembling a ray pistol but of strangely unfamiliar design mahoney shot from the hip and his stabbing ray splashed full on the hunchback's chest but harmlessly that lustrous garment was insulating armor the traitorous guard should have been shriveled to a cinder at the contact and tazzo laughed evilly as his own weapons loosened strange and terrible energies tom farley ducked and blaine watched in horrified amazement as the crackling streamers of blue radiance from the dwarf's pistols found their marks mahoney and kelly standing there bathed for a brief instant in a horrid blue fire tottering swaying their mouths opened wide in a last agonized effort to cry out tiny pinpoints of brilliant pyrotechnics flashing and exploding within the columns of blue fire then nothing where the two husky guards had stood there was utter emptiness not even a shred of clothing remained the air in the control room became heavy and acrid antazo white-faced and shaking blaine cried out in futile protest my god man what have you done what does this mean and then in a blaze of rage he was on his feet murder was in his heart as he set himself for a crashing charge that would sweep the beast from his feet his own flame pistol was missing it was a case of killing this monster with his bare hands tom was circling over there cursing horribly one of them would get him strangely antazo had lowered the muzzles of his pistols a terrific punch started from the floor never reached its mark blaine saw a tiny puff of pinkish vapor that spurted from the bosom of that metallic garment he was coughing and gasping helpless muscles refused to do his bidding with a moan he dropped into the pilot's seat knowing that antazo's will compelled him that gas had hypnotic powers mechanically his fingers strayed to the controls and tom good old tommy he was under the influence of the stuff too creeping there on hands and knees toward the engine room companionway antazo was talking we come now to the matter of instructions he said you farley will assist me in restoring the ignition system to normal you carson will keep to the controls and will lay a course to jupiter as soon as the control rocket tubes will respond understand 
Tom growled reluctant descent from where he was crawling. Strange, this hypnotic gas. Blaine's mind functioned clearly enough, yet he was utterly at the mercy of this madman's will, a robot of flesh and blood. Jupiter, he exclaimed. Why, man, it's nearly a half billion miles from the sun. Not habitable, either. Antazo had removed his mask and now smiled with a superior smile. We'll reach it, he said. The RX-8 is very fast. And it is not the planet itself we're bound for, but its second satellite. Io, your astronomers call this body, and it's a world sadly in need of this marvelous K-metal. But, but, enough, the hunchback snarled his rebuke in Blaine's face and turned to Tom. Come, Farley, he said, as if talking to a child. We must get to work. In a daze of conflicting motions, Blaine turned to gaze through the forward port when the two had left the control room. The RX-8 was accelerating rapidly under the steady discharge of gases from the stern rocket tube, and had already reached the speed of 1,000 miles a second. If one of those tiny asteroids, even one no larger than a marble, should meet up with them, it would crash through the hull plates as if they were paper. His heart went cold at the thought. Oddly enough, he found himself wanting to make this trip with the demonic Antazo. It was the effects of the pink gas. Even with the misshapen guard down there in the engine room, the power of his will was effective. The devil must be an Ionian, he thought. But how, in the name of the Skylane imps, had he reached Earth? How had he wormed his way into the confidence of the K-metal people? He must have been there several years, working to this very end. There was a tinkling crash on the starboard side amidships, a screaming swish as something slithered along the side and caroomed off into the void. One of those little planetoids, probably no bigger than a pea, and luckily they had struck it glancingly. He wiped the sudden perspiration from his forehead. Pressure on the directive rocket controls brought no response. Would they never finish with that ignition system? A gleaming light fleck segregated itself from the mass of stars ahead. At first he thought he imagined it, but a second examination, this time through the telescope, convinced him it was growing larger. Drawing nearer, it was and resolving itself into a well-defined orb that was directly in their path. Fifteen hundred miles a second, the indicator read now. They'd never know what happened when they struck. Tommy, he bellowed into the mic, are you fellows ever going to finish down there? There was no reply for a moment, and the blue-white globe drove madly toward them. He consulted the chart. Palace an asteroid some three hundred miles in diameter. Not very big as celestial bodies go, but big enough. Just one minute now. It was Tommy's voice coming drearily, unnaturally through the audiophone. A minute. Ninety thousand miles. It seemed the asteroid was that close already. Antazo was in the control room then, and the effect of his mental dominance became more pronounced. Suddenly the dwarf let out a shriek of terror when he looked through the port and saw the brilliant body that now loomed so close. Blaine experienced a savage joy in the knowledge that the hunchback was mortally afraid. Latza! Latza! 
in his fear and tazo lapsed into his own tongue then remembering he shouted we're ready carson swing wide the directive rockets answered to their controls now quick pressure on this a swift pull on that swinging the energy value to maximum brought results the little vessel groaned and shivered under the strain as a full blast from the forward tubes retarded them her hull plates twisted and screeched as the steering tubes built full energy in swinging them from their course they were thrown forward violently though the deceleration compensators were working to the utmost palace swung around in their field of vision and there was a fleeting glimpse of sunlit spires of mountains shadowed valleys and mysterious crevices from which clouds of steam and yellow vapor curled still it seemed they must crash against one of those slender pinnacles nearer it came like a flash a dizzying blur now that drove directly in their straining faces and then abruptly it was gone already thousands of miles astern the danger was past miraculously they had escaped and tazo laughed a hollow mirthless cackle his fingers shook crazily when he untwisted them from their grip on the port rail good work my friend very good indeed he jabbered his chin quivering in nervous reaction and now we carry on on to io blaine carson almost wishing they had collided with the spire set himself grimly to the task he was powerless to refuse end of section one